Hi, this is Mark. I'm one of the senior pastors from Hope Church Malmesbury. I want to personally thank you for downloading or listening online to this sermon cast from Hope Church. We, we share these messages because they really spoke to us. We value their, their content and uh, the anointing that's upon them. And I pray that they bring a fresh revelation of God's love for you today. And if you're able to support the work of Hope Church and the cost of sharing these messages online, then you can go to our website, www.thehope.church give and follow the instructions on that page. And if you're every mum's on a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now let's join today's message. Good morning. I'm so glad you could join with us this morning. Please join us as we continue our slow walk through the book of Luke. Today we're reading from Luke 5, verses 17 to 26, and it's one of my favourite stories of Jesus. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralysed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, Your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralysed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. An amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is an awesome story, and one you have heard many times before, I am absolutely sure. Now, at the start of our reading today, in verse 17, it says that an audience of Pharisees have gathered to hear Jesus teach. And then it says the power of the Lord was with him to heal. It's a funny statement because it's Jesus we're talking about here. I would kind of expect the power to heal to always be with Jesus. So if I said last Saturday, the power of the Lord was with Mark to heal... You might think, oh, what an awesome and unusual Saturday. It would be remarkable, which means it would have been worthy of remarking. Yet, in this passage, we see that Luke thinks that it is remarkable to say that on this day, surrounded by Pharisees, tough crowd, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And I think this is actually really significant because it tells me that even Jesus, as a man here on earth, relied on the power of the Lord. 
It tells me that if Jesus needed the power of the Lord to be with him to heal, then how much more do we need the power of the Lord with us to heal others? Because the point here is that it is the power of the Lord that does the healing. I also noted something important that precedes this miraculous story. It's a seemingly insignificant sentence in the verses before. Let's look back. Luke chapter 5 verses 15 to 16. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This, I think, is the key to the statement that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. We live incredibly busy lives in this modern era. However, if I'm honest, we make ourselves busier by wasting time on Facebook or gaming whilst waiting for someone or something. You know, we rarely experience true quiet anymore. Something's always feeding our brain. When was the last time you sat and did nothing? Just looked at the flowers or the grass blowing in the wind? Come on, let's be honest. We're among friends here. Most of us even take our phones to the bathroom with us. We're not even quiet and alone in the bathroom. The scripture tells us that Jesus withdrew to desolate places to pray. And he's in the midst of a revival. There are so many things to do and people to see and demands on his time, but he slips away to spend time alone with God. If Jesus needed to do that, how much more do we? In fact, Jesus knew how to quit the crowd for a moment with God. Quit. Quickly uphold important things. We need to learn how to quit, not give up, but we need to learn how to quickly uphold important things. Jesus put first things first. You know, many times in our Christian walk, we find ourselves comparing ourselves to other Christians and maybe following their teaching or their example of what daily life could look like. But it's Jesus's example we should all be following. We only need to look to one man, Jesus. How did he live? What did he prioritise? Well, a few weeks back, I pointed one out. Jesus made a custom of attending church every week. And here we read, Jesus, amid his busy ministry, prioritised time alone and quiet with God. You see, Jesus could have just poured himself out, giving absolutely everything he had to bring healing and deliverance to all that came to him, giving instruction to his disciples in between. He could have lived like this, eat, teach, sleep, miracle, repeat. He could have said he had no time to spend alone with God the Father. If anyone's ever had a lot to do, Jesus falls into that category. You know, he was only active in ministry for about three and a half years. He crammed a lot in. But he made regular time to be alone and quiet with God. Biblical scholar David Guzik says, 
The demands of life push Jesus to prayer, not from it. I don't think that's true for most of us, is it? The demands of life often remove prayer from our lives. But I think that's a really important thing to remember. The demands of life push Jesus to prayer, not from it. Jesus is an example of how to live as a human being with the limitations of the human condition. You know, Peter described Jesus's ministry on earth as leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You can read that in 1 Peter 2 verse 21. Jesus created us. He knows what we need. So he modelled it for us very clearly because we each need time alone and quiet with God. Time and again, we see in the scriptures that Jesus was surrounded by crowds. But we also see Jesus regularly take time apart from those crowds, apart from his disciples, alone with God. Because Jesus put first things first. Now, we can only be effective in ministry when we've been filled up and empowered by God. And this is why we must follow Jesus's example and take ourselves aside to desolate places. And by this, I mean screen free. So leave your phone at home and sit at the far end of the garden alone with God. Or go to a field and walk and talk with God without your earpods in and without looking at your phone for even a moment. We need to discover some empty places where we lean on God and let him replenish us, to listen to him, to be prepared, fully prepared for the good works he has for us to do. You know, too often these days, we try to skip the old Christian custom of a quiet time. What do you do in your quiet time? Where do you have your quiet time? Do you have a special quiet time chair? This was actually the discussion of many, many sermons and churches in the past, but you don't hear so much about it these days. But please know, when I say we, it's because I'm reach, preaching this as much, if not more, to myself than to anyone else. You know, we regularly skip the practice of a quiet time. We don't have time for a quiet time. And then we wonder why when we pray faith-filled prayers and declarations, we don't see as many miracles as we want. If Jesus needed the power of the Lord to be with him to heal, we certainly do. We need to be plugged in to the source and we need to be powered up before going out and making big declarations. It's like driving a car with no petrol in the tank. You know that if you are not regularly filling that tank, you cannot expect to get anywhere. Why do you think that spiritually you can run on empty and still see the same miracles? God is so good. His grace covers us and he takes us through many an empty tank day. But at some point, we all have to yield and say, God, I lost sight of the most important part of all of this. What's first thing in your life 
the most important part of your ministry is not how many people are healed after you pray for them. It's not how many converts you make to salvation in Jesus Christ. It is your personal relationship with God. That's the most important thing in your life, your relationship with your Father God. James 4 verse 3 to 8 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You know, we'd ask right if we knew what we should be asking and how. Then he goes on, verse 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We've got to stop praying worldly prayers, guys. We've got to pray what God wants. His kingdom come into this world. Verse 5, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's verse 8. So important. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Make sure you keep first things first. If we skip time alone with God, we will bear less and less fruit. John 15 verse 4 talks about fruit bearing in the Christian's life. And it says this, Jesus said this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me abide. You know, a tea bag is put in hot water and the water takes on the flavour and strength of the tea bag. When we abide in God and he abides in us, we take on his power and flavour. We can only be effective in God's ministry if we take time to draw near and abide in God himself. So, if you go away from today with one thing to apply to your life, make it this. Be like Jesus and make time to take yourself off to a quiet, uninterrupted space and pray. <clears throat> and to be clear, when I say the word pray, I don't mean present a list of requests to God. Praying means to hang out and discuss things with God. You talk, he talks. Listen to his instruction. Learn his way for your day. Right, let's get back to today's passage. Now, the Pharisees have gathered from all over and are listening to Jesus's teaching. I like Spurgeon's comment on this gathering. This is what he said. These men were sitting by with critical eyes and hearts, ready to twist and pounce upon some word of Jesus. Yet at least they were there. We are glad to have these people sitting by, rather than not coming at all. Being in the way, the Lord may meet with them. If you go where shots are flying, you may be wounded one of these days. Better to come and hear the gospel from a low motive than not to come at all. 
<laughs> so it is to this gathering that a group of friends turn up and they've brought their disabled friend to Jesus, the healer. Then they go to extreme lengths to reach Jesus. Verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralysed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. These friends quite literally lifted their friend to Jesus for help. Now, the houses would have been flat roofed with stairs that access the roof from outside and the roof was likely made from a mixture of straw and mud so they seem to have dug through this mud and straw mixture to create an opening through which to lower their friend into Jesus's presence. Verse 20 and when he saw their faith he said man your sins are forgiven you. Now here are just some things we can learn from this encounter. Number one These friends are solution seekers. They are not put off by the difficulties they see before them. They look for a solution. Hmm. Hmm. And they get creative. These friends go to extreme lengths to get their friend to Jesus. They don't give up and go home. They quite literally press through the obstacles, even by digging through the roof. It is the faith of these friends that impresses Jesus and brings their friend his healing. This account of Jesus's ministry is told in both Matthew and Mark's Gospels as well. And in each one, it says the same thing, that Jesus responded to their faith. Here it is in Mark 2 verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus responded to the faith of the friends who brought the paralysed man to him. Get this. Jesus responded to the faith of the men who brought the paralysed man to him. Jesus saw their faith through the actions they took. You know, faith should not be a secret hidden in your heart. That's what the world would have you believe. You have your faith, but you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to tell me. We'll all keep our own faith secret. It moves you to action. Faith moves you to action. Therefore, it is visible. Can anyone see your faith? More surprisingly for us, is that Jesus responds not to the man's desperate need, which is quite visible, but to his friend's faith. You know, these able men brought their disabled friend before Jesus for healing. He wasn't able to bring himself to Jesus. And there may be people in your life that cannot bring themselves to Jesus for one reason or another, but you can take them to Jesus in your prayers. Please don't think that isn't enough. It's actually the most important thing you can do for someone who needs a touch from God. They carried this man to Jesus. And when you pray for your friends, you carry them into Jesus's presence. And it's your faith that Jesus notices and responds to. And when he responded to their faith, did you notice 
what Jesus did first. These men have just physically carried their friend into Jesus's presence. They have walked from who knows how far. They have been carrying him, the full weight of a man on their shoulders. They have lifted him up a flight of stairs. They have dug a hole. They've rigged up some ropes and swung their friend down right in front of Jesus. They did all this because he could not get there himself. He was paralysed. His body very clearly needed physical healing. And what does Jesus do in response? He said, man, your sins are forgiven you. What? Well, that's nice, but do we still have to carry him home? I mean, this man is paralysed. How much sin can he have committed? It's just not the expected response, right? And this truly is right up there in my top 10 stories of Jesus. You know why? Because it teaches us first things first. First things first. C.S. Lewis said this, put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both first and second things. Think about it. What you and I think of as most important isn't the way God sees things. And to put it plainly, let's play it out for a minute. What good is it if you regain the use of your legs, but you walk straight into hell? Jesus dealt with the first thing first. The most important thing in all of our lives, whether we are able-bodied or not, is our spiritual well-being. The first thing we need from Jesus is forgiveness for all our mess-ups and failings and fallings for temptations and anger and wrong priorities. And oh, the list can go on and on and on. When we come to Jesus He grants us forgiveness for our sins, which creates an opening to approach God, the Father. God gave me a bit of a picture. Our sin is like a pile of rubbish in a doorway. It's like the most extreme hoarder you have ever seen on TV. You know when they try to open the door and they have to push against and they can't even fully open the door because of the stuff that is stacked behind the door. Those hoarders that you have seen on TV. A load of magazines, papers, old wrappers, boxes, books and things piled high blocking our access to God. Now, this picture that God gave me of a hoarder is actually pretty accurate because sin is often something we hold on to in a weird way. For example, and this is only one example, we might think, well, it wasn't my fault, so it's not really sin I need to deal with. And by denying its existence as our sin, we have thrown it on the pile in the doorway, not dealing with it letting it just form a nice foundation for more and more stuff we don't want to think about or deal with. And the pile just grows. 
I believe this hoarding picture is bringing revelation to someone today. You have hoarded your sins by refusing to let them go because perhaps they were not your own making. That may be true, but they don't belong in your life either. Don't hold on to them waiting for the other party to relinquish them. Their piles of sins are theirs to deal with. What dwells in your home, and I mean this temporary tent of our body here on earth, is all you can actually deal with. Jesus wants to cleanse you. He wants to take these things completely away, no longer presenting a blockage between you and your heavenly Father, who wants to reach out and hold you and comfort you fully. He will heal you of these broken thought processes and memories if you allow him access. So please let go. Let Jesus forgive your sins, all of them, the ones you committed and the ones done to you. This releases you fully from the power they have in your life. Your sins are anything that does not reach God's perfection. But when you let go, they are fully wiped away. Isaiah 43 verse 25 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. He removes them for his own sake so he can draw close to you. Your sins are literally erased and this brings you freedom to start to write a new story with him through the rest of your life worked out with God as your co-author. You know, the sin story always ends badly, but give it up and this becomes your truth. Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For anyone who comes to Jesus, he takes your sin away to the cross with him. You know, God is not in a linear timeline. He is now and then at the same time. Jesus went to the cross for us, for you, back then. Though we hadn't yet been born, so we hadn't even had a chance to sin yet, he went then, taking our sin with him, because it's already dealt with. But this is only true if you come into agreement with him on this act of redemption at the cross. He doesn't force freedom on you. If you want to hoard your rubbish, that is your choice. However, if you want to come into agreement with his clearing away of your sin today, pray this prayer with me now. It'll come up on the screen. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I believe that you are risen from the dead and that you are coming back again for me. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me and cleanse me. Set me free. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me a passion for the lost, a hunger for the things of God, and a holy boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm forgiven. And I'm on my way to heaven because I have Jesus in my heart. Amen. 
Jesus spoke about prioritizing first things first, when he said in Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek the first things first, and the second things will be added. It is the man's righteousness and his entry into the kingdom of God that concerns Jesus most. On the order of God's priorities, your salvation to eternal life is way higher than your comfort or ease in this temporal life. Jesus told the man his sins were forgiven and his critics got all overexcited about it. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And these pious men were right. Only God can forgive. The problem was they assumed that Jesus was blaspheming rather than see, therefore, that Jesus is God. My driving instructor used to say, never assume it makes an ass out of you and me. Have you noticed how the same situation can be viewed differently from opposing viewpoints? The Pharisees were coming at this encounter with a critical spirit, with a critical mind. They were looking for a problem in Jesus's ministry, so they perceived one and leapt on it. Blasphemy! The paralysed man and his friends were coming at this encounter with hope for healing. They were looking for a miracle and they got one. I like these quotes. What we see depends mainly on what we look for. That's a quote from a man called John Lubbock, who's a 19th century clever clogs. And here's a modern quote from a man called Wayne Dyer, who's a modern self-help author. He says, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. You will find what you are looking for, no matter what you two tell you. Jesus made sure that this encounter ended right. He made sure there was no doubt as to who he was. He called them out in their thinking and he told his critics that words are cheap. Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk. But then he showed them that he was who he implied he was when he declared the man's sins forgiven, because then he completely healed the man and told him to carry his own mat home. Verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. When Jesus heals you, it is finished. It is complete. Jesus told him to carry his mat home because he now could. It was no longer his friend's burden to carry. First things first, when you are freed by Jesus, you may have to practically remove the thing that you leaned on for so long. The things that held you up when you were broken are now your job to remove. It occurred to me that we can easily get so used to being a victim that we think we need help when we no longer do. When Jesus says, get up, he tells you to get practical too. Once Jesus sets you right, 
it's time for you to take responsibility over your own stuff. You know, we live in a society that elevates crisis and difficulty, and I believe it can actually be habit-forming to think of yourself as less able due to the difficulties you may have faced. But listen, once Jesus delivers you from your difficulties, there should be no trace of them. The man who is healed doesn't say, hang on, hang on, I have no muscle mass. These legs are not used to walking, you know. I need to build up my strength. Don't push me too far, too fast. I can only go one step at a time. Give me a moment. I'll pick up the mat, but I'm not sure yet. Maybe someone could help me with the mat. Because my muscle mass is not what, you know, you lot have been walking around for years. I've never walked. No, he gets up and he takes responsibility for himself, perhaps for the first time ever. Verse 25, and immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. You know, some of us may or may not have physical healing needs. But I do believe that after these last 18 months, we're all hobbling a little spiritually and mentally. And therefore, we all need to hear Jesus call us up into fully restored health again. I believe that some of us have fully functioning bodies, but we may have become paralytic in our attitudes. The dictionary definition of paralytic is the incidence of paralytic disease, disabled, incapacitated, dead, numb. You know, this past year and a half has worn away on our enthusiasm. And I mean all of us. Dreams and hopes we had two years ago have faded. And the most we hope for now, if we're honest, is a COVID-free Christmas. We've become dead to new hopes and dreams. The things we thought we might want to get involved with at church a year and a half ago, the creative ministry thoughts we had, the plans we wanted to make to further God's kingdom have zoomed away sometime over this year. And we've been left comfortably numb. This was Mark's message last week. And here we are again. God took me back round to this. I believe God is repeating this message to us until we take action. You know, it's time, he says, to rise up like the worship song lyrics by Cain. Come on and rise up. Take a breath. You're alive now. Can't you hear the voice of Jesus calling us? Out from the grave like Lazarus. You're brand new. The power of death couldn't hold you. Rise up. Rise up. Rise up. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, you have so many plans and purposes for each of our lives. We are sorry for your our apathy and for our numbness that has disabled us from your works this year. Today, we hear your call, Jesus, your call to each of us to rise up to pick up our mat and walk out our faith fully again. Holy Spirit, call us to the quiet places with you. Holy Spirit, reigniting us a passion for the lost and a holy boldness to preach your freedom to others. 
as we head towards restarting Hope Church in August, I pray that we will each have a sense of our priorities being aligned with yours and our own important part to play in calling your kingdom come in our neighbours, friends and family lives. As we take time with you, build us up, stir us up, Holy Spirit, reignite us, reinvigorate us, re-excite us as we get our priorities sorted. I pray that we will each become successful at finding time alone with you to be plugged in and powered up and always keep your first things first in our lives. Amen. So guys, to sum up, keep first things first and the rest will fall into place. So make regular space to take yourself aside and spend quality time with God. Put your phone down. Lift your friends to Jesus. Remember, your faith should be visible. And your faith might be what brings someone else their miracle. When you are delivered and healed of your brokenness, get practical and walk it out. Remember, Jesus deals with first things first in your life in your difficulties and in his expectation of your walking out of your victory. Let's close with his words from Matthew 6 verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Go and be blessed. Amen.